This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. Hello everybody, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine, but yesterday when I turned my car on, <laughs> you don't turn a car on, do you? You start a car, when I says therein lies the problem, when I started my car it said tyre pressure low, or tyres have lost pressure, it flashed up some terrifying warning and then another light started flashing and I thought... Oh, God. Oh, God, I've got to put air in my tyres. And you see, this is the problem. I don't know how to put air in my tyres. So I think, okay, do I take it to a tyre place? But then they're inevitably going to charge me 600 quid for four new tyres. But how do I get around the fact that I have to go to a petrol station not knowing how to put air in my tyres? It's actually, I'm quite upset about this, the life of a solo parent. Can I literally just make you feel better? Because I know how to do it. But you don't know how to do anything like that. I know, but I actually do oddly know how to put air in tyres. Will you take me? I will take you. Oh, oh my God. Weepingly relieved. I love a solution. Yeah. This is great. I'm also not often the person who can provide it, so this is great. Okay, well, uh, hi, I'm Emily. I'm, I'm absolutely fine, but I've started hearing a kind of David Attenborough-like sort of voiceover as I look at my face in the mornings. <laughs> like, like a, and there goes the 47-year-old woman. Look at the separation on her paws here. Look at the decrepitude and you degradation. You will see the degradation <laughs> unfolding as the weeks and months progress. Exactly. Ah, the blob on the side of her face has been joined by another blob. It has the, bred a blob. Uh, and it, it feels incredibly depressing. However... Help is at hand because we are delighted to have one of the foremost beauty experts in the country on the podcast today. Whether she's writing her unmissable Guardian beauty columns or best-selling books like Pretty Honest or breaking the internet with her decision to go fully grey or being a badass and meeting the woman who had been trolling her, she is honest and outspoken about beauty standards, the industry and how beauty makes us feel about ourselves. Oh, and she's just launched a beauty brand in partnership with Revolution, which just keeps selling out. Congratulations, Sally Hughes. How are you? Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm absolutely fine, but I mean, really, how long have you got? (laughs) Today has been a catalogue of disasters. So let's just go with the fact that we're 31 minutes starting this podcast because I've lost my (laughs) AirPods. I had to wake up my teenage son on his morning off college, make him hand over his, which then didn't work. I then had to get my husband out of the toilet to come and and fix them. And so... um, It's been a family affair. Finally, uh, finally, we're up and running very, very late. So I apologise. Oh, it's absolutely fine. Also, I actually have to say it's given me an opportunity to look at myself even more in the Zoom thing (laughs) and and think about the the general collapse of my face. And I'm actually tempted to like hide self view at this point. Also, Mercury is in retrograde. And I've started buying into that shit. You know, there's a website you can go on. You can say, is Mercury in retrograde? And it will either go, yes, that's the reason for the fuckery. Or no, this is entirely your problem. But I, it is at the moment, I believe, according to Susan Miller on Astrology Zone. Yeah, it is. Until... You know things are bad when you start reading your, your <laughs> exactly. horoscopes. When you start saying, I can't go out because of the full moon. Mm, <laughs> that's exactly. basically when you know things are wrong. Have to stay anyway. in and howl it. So we're sitting here. Sally Hughes, I mean, you've spent you know, most of your professional life writing about beauty products produced by other people. And yet, look what we have here. Sally Hughes Clean Sheet Morning Cleanser, Sally Hughes Must See Anytime Daily Serum. I'm bang into this stuff. How did this come about? I'm so happy you're bang into it. Uh, so at the beginning of COVID, 
the shops were still just about open. Well, I think essential shops were open. And um, all the press offices had closed very abruptly, as everything had. And so no samples were going out. And so I went to the massive boots on Piccadilly and spent a couple of hundred quid. So I had something new to talk about in my videos without any post arriving. Bought a load of stuff, including some stuff from Revolution. I raved about it. They contacted me and said, would you like to do your own skincare brand? We've been thinking about approaching you. Um, I had been approached a number of times before. People had fallen by the wayside because my list of demands was fairly long. <laughs> because because I, I was adamant that I wanted something to be uh, cruelty-free, to be made in the UK. And I was obsessed with the idea that it must be affordable. I never wanted to do something high-end luxury. I wanted to do something democratic and accessible. And yeah, made in the UK, cruelty-free, vegan. And I wanted total control over the whole thing. I wanted to be completely in charge of it. And people had fallen by the wayside because they couldn't say yes to all of those things. And Revolution were like, yeah, fine, do that then. And so I was left with nowhere to go. And I think <laughs> in the past, the demands I had made as well were a little bit of a safety net in that I could go, oh, well, yes. it's not right and not do it. But they made it impossible, really, to say no. So that's what I did with my lockdown, as well as write my next book. They overrode your commitment phobia. You actually had had to deliver. And I love it. You describe it, I think, as the jeans and white T-shirt of skincare because it is, you know, simple, isn't it? It's really simple and deliberately so. And my idea, I only had one idea for a brand because I was so obsessed. It was so all-consuming. I only had one idea, which was completely out of step with marketing, completely out of step with fashion. I was absolutely convinced, and thank God I've been proven correct, that it's a myth that the beauty industry has that women are now all skin intellectuals and they're all obsessed with skincare and they know everything in the world about skincare. I'm a nerd about it because it's my job, but my friends aren't. My friends text me and say, I'm in Space and K, I'm in Boots, I'm in Superdrug, I'm in Selfridges, what do I buy? Just tell me what to buy. And they are women, some of them have lots of money, some of them have very little money, and then most of them are kind of somewhere in the middle. And all of them feel exactly the same way. It's about, we don't understand this, this left us behind some time ago, and we want to understand it again. And we are sufficiently interested that we want our skin to look nice, and we want to look after our skin. But beyond that, we stopped understanding a few years ago. And that's where all the women I knew were. And the beauty industry was saying, oh my God, there's this explosion in skincare. Everyone knows everything about skincare. But there's a huge difference. There's a huge disparity between an interest and knowledge, you know, a willingness and an obsession. You know, those are, those are very, very different things. And so I decided to go against the grain and against what the marketeers were telling us. And what's been most gratifying about it is just the number of messages literally in their thousands from women saying thank you so much I thought it was just me that didn't get it anymore. Yes I think you're right I think that there was a point a few years ago where a lot of people just sort of lost the grammar and the moment they dropped a stitch they were totally out of sync with what was happening and I think also there was a sort of degree of shame in saying well actually I really you know I'm a grown-up woman I really don't know what I'm doing everyone's saying it's super simple and we're all you know really savvy and you know, have encyclopedic knowledge of things like hyaluronic acid that I can never even pronounce and peptides and salicylic acid and you know all of these things that we're meant to know about and I, and I don't and does that make me even less of a fully functioning human woman what do I do now? I know. And I think in years, I still don't even understand what a serum is. Is it before, after? I mean, I, I sort of... I have explained eight how times. I know. How much do I need? Do I, you know, and it's just, it's really anxious making because you're like, I, I, want, I'm, I'm, I want to give my money, but I'm scared that I'm, someone is selling me something that a step that I don't need as well. Anyway. Yes, because money badly spent is another reason. Yeah. It's another stick to beat yourself up with. But here's the thing. What you're saying is not remotely surprising to me because I get messages like that all the time from women. And these are women, by the way, who are interested in beauty, who, who really do fancy it. You know, they want to use things that work. And so for me, there was a thing that wasn't being delivered, which is things, ingredients that definitely work at the right level so you can use everything together without going oh can I use this ingredient with that ingredient does it become null and void does it become inactive and all of that all the guesswork taken away but still proven actives not made up nonsense ingredients that don't really work and so I just felt 
there was a gap for effective things that work that are made by nerds for women <laughs> for women who are interested in this stuff but are not biochemists and you know my my girlfriends make fun of me when we're in the street if ever we're stopped in the street because one of my readers has recognized me my girlfriends make fun of me because they're always rushing past with a coffee, their handbag on, coffee, rushing down the street. And they're like, hi, Sally, I love your column, bye. And they've never, <laughs> they, like, they've never got time to kind of meander and stop and chat. And I love that about them because women have tons going on. They might like to read my column. They might like to follow me. But I mean, there are a million things that are more important to them. They have families to run, homes to run, careers to have, presentations to hold, kids to look after, marriages to look after, all of that stuff. And I just think they like skincare, they're interested in it, but just they don't want to obsess over it. And I'm fine with women to whom it is an obsession, a hobby. That's fine. It's one of my obsessions too. But I think that's not representative of most women. I remember when I just had um, my for my second child and my sister, who I, who hadn't had a child at that point, has said to me, I've got your really great treat. We're going to do this like beauty routine tonight and I'm going to tuck you in and whatever. And then she was like, right, so we'll start off with this. And you have to press this to your face like 25 times. And then we got completely hysterical because I was like, who has the time to press something to their face 25 times, which is absolutely no hope of making any difference whatsoever. And what doesn't make just made me feel so stressed anyway so i know even if that. you have got some cash you want to chuck at beauty you may well not have the time to do the research or even to do all the you know the jade rollers and the pressing and the massage i mean the you're... first thing i want to tell you there is there's absolutely no way that doing that 25 times would have any tangible effect <laughs> on your skin but secondly who's got the bloody time i don't have the time and this is my job you know absolutely pointless people want people have like maybe three minutes and so the whole point of my range was easy 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 you know it's the ingredients that work you know what order they come in everything is very 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 straightforward and lots of ingredients in each thing instead of having to use 13 different things with a single ingredient in and that annoys the hell out of me and so um it's all in there together at the right level so everything works in tandem can i ask you Sally? because you know you've been doing you've been doing this for you know uh, you know years decades how do you think the beauty industry has really changed since we were teenagers and we were, you know, going to you know, save up for a Rimmel lipstick, whatever it was? Oh, God, there are myriad ways. Um, good and bad, presumably. One, yeah, in good ways and bad. I mean, one of the ways in which it has changed for the good is that there actually is no crap product anymore, right? So so the worst product now is 10 times better than the best product 10 years ago. The way it moves, the sort of the velocity with which the technology now moves is really staggering. And so you could go into Superdrug and spend 99 pence on a pencil now and it would be as good as something that was really expensive 10 years ago. And that is just the way it is. And that is brilliant. So it has become more democratic in that respect. Um, people have access to a lot more information now, of course. That's a good thing and a bad thing. You know, there are lots of myths that um, abound about beauty that kind of drive me nuts you know the danger of certain ingredients that are absolutely not dangerous for example things like that drive me mad there's definitely albeit at glacial pace a change in beauty standards so we now um, a major beauty brand would no longer think of bringing out a campaign now um, quite rightly with only white women in it it's not happening at the pace that's necessary it's not happening in quite the right way always I'm always more interested when I speak to beauty brands, I'm more interested in who's behind the scenes, who's on the counters, who's doing the marketing campaigns, who's taking your pictures, who's doing product development. We can all put a hot black girl in the picture, but what is what is the 360 view of the brand? It's that kind of stuff that's happening really, really, really slowly. However, there is change happening. And so there was no change happening, seemingly kind of 15 years ago and so um, I'm grateful that at least something's happening there's much more of a dialogue with women of colour with older women I think what L'Oreal has done with um, mature women people like Jane Fonda Lauren Hutton Helen Mirren for example is um, is really really interesting so there is more there's more happening it's not happening fast enough but there are some really really exciting things going on and there are really gratifying moments in the beauty industry that I don't see in other industries so much and so I'm grateful for where I am. Do you think there are any ways in which it's changed for the worst? Yeah um, I think there's a sort of cultural shift 
that beauty has fallen into as well. There's a cultural shift about sort of this kind of post-facts world where people jump on conspiracy theories, people believe any old tut really that they that they read on the internet if it's presented in the right way. And that's not their fault. It can be very compelling. So there's lots of stuff around clean beauty, for example, that I find quite damaging. Lots of things around ingredients. I saw a video not that long ago on YouTube where a woman was saying, you know, that um, that bras definitely give you breast cancer. And she was acting as a kind of health influencer. And I just thought that kind of shows that shows where we are, really. And and beauty has fallen foul of that, too. There's also, of course, the biggest and most damaging way that beauty has changed is the fact that um, women and men and boys and girls spend their whole lives looking at flawless pictures of people's faces. There is a little bit of a backlash against it, but not in not in any kind of material way. We just see lots and lots and lots of perfect people who they're flawless looking, but then also the people who follow them in an attempt to copy them, whether they succeed or fail to look flawless, they are constantly having their appearances described back at them by their schoolmates, their friends, their siblings, strangers. I find that problematic. I think as somebody who is 47, I am incredibly grateful that I lived in a time where nobody was ever on about how I looked, particularly like nobody described my face and my body to me very much when I was a kid. My parents certainly didn't. And I can't remember people doing it much at school. Whereas now I think kids post a picture and then everyone jumps on and says, you look hot, you look sexy, you look beautiful, you look flawless, you look this, that and the other. And even if they're meant to be positive comments, I think that's a bit mentalising in its own way. Talking of people making comments, can you talk us through the, this really compelling story about you meeting the woman who'd been effectively abusing you online? What, what, how, how did that begin? Oh, God, I wish she was the woman. She's one of many women. <laughs> There's, um, so there are about, let's say, they kind of some of them dip in and out a bit, but there's about, say, 30 women online who occupy a dragging site and there these are sites where that just exist to slag people off basically and there's this group of women many of whom were readers of mine and are disgruntled some of them were on my facebook group and are disgruntled some of them i guess were never readers of mine but anyway they hate me and um they just talk about me all the time there were about three of them who I would say are quite seriously mentally ill based on their, their behaviours outside of it um, that they don't quite admit to in, in the group. But there are, I would say there are three of them who are extremely unwell. Uh, then there are a load who just enjoy being bitchy and then there are a few who pretend they're a bit above it and they're there for sort of, you know, as kind of truth seekers. And they talk about me all day, every day. And... Um, I wouldn't mind that so much, but they tell huge lies about me all the time. They've actually deleted quite a few of them because they're embarrassed, I think, because they pretended they hadn't written. What sort of lies were they? What were they saying? Oh, God, that I never see my children because I don't post pictures of my children online, so that I never see my children, that, um, you know, assumptions about my marriage. There were horrible, horrible lies told about my family, my parents... Um, friends of mine who have died who are no longer with us so lots of lies told about a close friend of mine's funeral so nothing's off limits really no nothing's nothing's off limits I mean there are huge lies about my career like massive lies about my career the list is endless really just lie after lie after lie and incredibly incredibly hurtful you know there are little lies that you don't really care about like um oh she's angry she wasn't invited to that yes I was I turned it down oh she doesn't really wear glasses she she's got perfect eyesight no I really do wear glasses like who cares um but the big stuff about family friends career is really really hard um really really hurtful and they just come up on google these things for anybody to see and so the bbc approached me about making a documentary about it for radio 4 i do lots of work for radio 4 anyway they approached me because i'd had to make a statement about it and the reason i'd had to make a statement about it is they had um they were constantly coming over to my instagram and bringing it over there And one of the things they did was report several of their lies to a whistleblower account on Instagram, who then, without checking the facts, posted the story. They withdrew it and apologised later on, but um, they posted it. And so I had to make a statement. The whole thing blew up. The BBC approached me and said, would I make a documentary? I said, yes. 
And then part of that documentary was um, involved speaking to one of the women who had done this. And in fairness to her, she had left and she had written to me. The reason I knew she existed was she had emailed me and said that she had left and felt lousy about it. We approached a few of the others. They turned us down, didn't want to do it, felt fairly indignant and fine with what they were doing. But she was genuinely remorseful. So I went and met her and she was just like somebody like a school mum or like she was just like someone you would know she was just like a really like smart normal functioning <laughs> human she you know the way I would describe her is like a sort of Bowden mummy to look at you know she was kind of this wholesome middle class well-educated look you know deranged and furious and no and um, she cried and it was an absolutely extraordinary conversation I was shaking and she confirmed what I already felt she said you were not a real person to me you were a character that we had invented and we got carried away with it and there was a sense of competition and one-upmanship who could say the meanest thing who could say the funniest thing who could say the most outrageous thing and I completely lost sight of the fact that you are and were a person. And I asked her how she felt about the fact that my kids' teachers had spoken to me about it because they'd seen it and how I felt about strangers coming up to me in the street and how the fact that I am really self-conscious whenever I leave the house and how the mother of my dead friend had read their bile about their daughter's funeral, how she felt about all of that. And she said, um, I feel horrible. And when I look back, I can retrace the steps of the difficulties in my life uh, were happening in parallel with the worst things that were being said about you. And I mean, we all know that intellectually, right? Throughout all of this, I've always thought, well, nobody who does this is happier than me, doing better than me, in a better place than me. I mean, that's just obvious. Any psychologist could tell you that. But to hear her say it and say, with the benefit of hindsight, I can see that I was just deeply, deeply unhappy and I was having problems in my own life that I had to then project onto you because that made me feel better. It was, although I already knew it, and psychologists during the course of the documentary had said, this is definitely what's happening. It did actually matter to me that she said it. Yeah. And so, I mean, all we can all we can ask from people, right, is that, like, nobody's all good, nobody's all bad. All we can hope for is that we can acknowledge our mistakes and do better. Um, it's people who kind of double down and go, no, 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 I'll do this forever, mm. that blow my mind. I just think, really, what do your family and friends think? Mm. But it's also terrifying, I mean, you know, because you, you are in the sort of public eye, so in some ways you could understand why... I, sorry, I don't, I'm don't. i saying this all wrong, but, the, but you're sort of a visible target, even mm-hmm. though you're not. But this is also happening to our kids all the time, right? Mm. Where, yeah, playgrounds where, all over the world. And we online, all know that the bullies are not the happy ones. No, and and but also that people act out online mm-hmm. when they're unhappy mm-hmm. in their lives. And, you know, because our children are online all the time, it's the currency. And it's, it's, it's totally terrifying. So well done you for having the balls to stand up and, and say, actually, no, and this is why... And whatever, and also, you know, presumably, she has gone through some kind of rehabilitation journey, which hopefully would have been good for her too, whereby she won't do it again. But those women who are still doing it, you know, more for them. Yeah, I mean, it's been made it's been made very clear to me that it's never going to stop, and and I and I know it's never going to stop, and I'm certainly not feeling inclined to go to court and all of that stuff. I think what children don't have that adults have perhaps is that I don't genuinely I don't care if they want to sit around all day saying I'm ugly fat boring untalented unstylish whatever it is they're saying I genuinely don't care but the lying the lying Mm. the lying makes me nuts telling lies and placing them in the public domain and all anybody has to do is tell one lie and a page later everyone's accepted it as fact and that becomes part of my narrative I find that really really intolerable as a journalist if I write a story about somebody and I lie about them then I lose my job and they get to take me to court on the internet there is a massive gap in the law you can say anything about anyone and your the redress is minimal and there are people on there who have thousands and thousands and thousands of pages 
dedicated to them. I spoke to one woman recently who um, had had social services round to her house because somebody from a dragging site had reported her to social services saying she was an alcoholic um, and drinking while pregnant. And it was an absolute lie. It was just a bit of mischief making for fun. Things like that happen all the time. People have contacted me from psychiatric wards because of dragging sites. I think what's worrying about it is that I know for a fact because I made this documentary, everyone's contacted me, obviously, and said, me too, me too, me too. And I think what people on dragging sites are in absolute denial about is that there have been suicide attempts already. Somebody at some point is probably going to die. And I feel that very strongly in my heart. And at that point, they need something better up their sleeves than we were only having a chat. We were only having a bit of a gossip because I promise you, lives and families are being destroyed by it. And I'm very lucky not to be one of them at this point in my life. Mm. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Now, you guys know that we're not shy about getting things off our chest. The tiny inconveniences that can ruin our days to the big, overwhelming worries that can flood our nights. Trouble is, we all got into the habit of saying, I'm absolutely fine. Emily and I added the but specifically to get off autopilot and give ourselves the space to say what we were really experiencing. But we weren't always so free with our inner furies. A few years ago, I began experiencing debilitating panic attacks because I felt I couldn't tell anyone all the things that I was feeling, that I was not coping, that I felt like a failure. I was so ashamed, so I kept it all bottled inside. And of course, it started leaking out. It was only when I found a therapist and began sharing those doubts and insecurities with her that the panic began to dissipate. Because therapy can be a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash midult. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com slash midult. Better help, because sometimes the best thing to do is acknowledge that we are not, in fact, absolutely fine. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Yeah, no, well, it's I, mean, it's, I mean, it certainly hasn't stopped you. I want to talk, something I, I want to talk about because I'm just so hugely admiring of it is Beauty Bank. Oh, thanks. I mean, it's a brilliant, brilliant initiative um and and i know you've done it in partnership with the with the you know incomparable joe jones and um and um, um, can you just tell us a bit about beauty bank because maybe our listeners can help or engage with it in some way but it's just fabulous uh, so we're beauty banks, plural. Sorry, uh, sorry. Right. Um, so beauty banks came about because I was making a different documentary uh, for the BBC about homelessness. And I was in a homeless shelter in Cardiff filming. And um, I became very aware from talking to the staff that they had a two tiny boxes of toiletries under the reception desk. And when their clients had a period or a housing meeting or we're going to see their kids or whatever, they would ask the staff and they would get hygiene supplies from the staff who brought them in themselves from home. Joe Jones, who is a, you know, very notable beauty PR in the industry who I've known forever, is a good friend of mine. She and I had been moaning a lot about the amount of waste in the beauty industry and simultaneously we were moaning about political things. Brexit had just happened, Donald Trump was in power. You know, we were just, we felt fairly kind of disempowered and sad. And so I texted her from the homeless shelter and I said, look at this, look at this, and sent her a picture and she said, well, we should get all the brands to give us a load of product and we'll distribute it 
to charities like homeless shelters, women's refuges and food banks. And I said, great, let's do that. And she said, it's beauty banks, isn't it? It's like food banks for beauty. And so I wrote a column. I wrote my pool column about it the next day or the day after that. And it just went nuts. And within a few days, it was in every newspaper. We had a film crew following us from ABC in America. We were on every news channel. And so we involuntarily, in a way, uh, founded a charity. And um, it's become a huge success. That was the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. And yeah, other charities have started up using our model, which is great. And um, yeah, it's been really, really rewarding. So essentially what happens is beauty brands give us discontinued product, product that's going to go out of date within the next two years, which is obviously great for us. Um, changes of packaging, that kind of stuff. They give us a load of product. We then distribute it around the country to homeless shelters, food banks, mental health trusts, schools, women's refuges, so many different registered charities around the country. And then in addition, members of the public donate money, which pays for our vans, petrol, uh, vouchers, that kind of thing. Um, and it's been it's been an amazing, amazing experience. And we are still tiny. Uh, we don't draw salary or anything like that. We have two people um, who, who run it with us, who obviously do get paid, but we don't. And um, it's gone from strength to strength. And we're both very proud of it. And it's everything, isn't it, from children being bullied. As be, children have been proved to be bullied more at school for poor, if they have poor hygiene. Am I right in thinking that? You did a campaign around that? Yeah, so we commissioned a piece of research where we interviewed, I think it was 250 school teachers and asked them about their experience of hygiene poverty at school. And um, significant numbers of them reported kids being bullied, kids being ostracised, kids not coming to school at all because they didn't smell the same as everyone else, they didn't look the same as everyone else. Um, And so we started a campaign off the back of that. And if any of your listeners do want to help us, we're in over 100 superdrug stores around the country. So if you go into the superdrug website, you can find out where your nearest beauty bank's bin is and you can put your toiletries in there. And when people ask us what we need, just imagine, go through your morning routine. That's what people need. So you brush your teeth, you use toothpaste, we need that. You use deodorant, we need that. You use shower gel, shampoo. Go through your routine and that's the stuff we need. Um, alternatively, you can go onto our our website, which is beautybanks.org.uk and you could donate cash there, which helps us get the products to where they need mm. to be. And imagine the emotional and psychological difference. You know, you, maybe you've fled some, you know, a very abusive situation. You have nothing. And on top of it, you feel just dirty and, and, and compromised in every way. I mean, imagine the, the difference that that could, you know, sometimes a, you know, a nice bath makes a massive difference to my day. And, you know, and I'm all right, Jack, right now. Yeah. I quite agree. And, and also lots of women, women in particular who flee violence at home, which unfortunately has been a huge part of the pandemic. Angry men getting drunk and angry at home who are already violent have become ever more violent. And very many women have had to flee their homes with their children. And they very often have to leave in the dead of night or they leave with one bag that has their children's stuff in it and they leave with absolutely nothing. And actually, if the way you feel normal and yourself is with a bit of makeup on, if that's you, if that's normal to you, and suddenly you're in a situation where you're all at sea, why shouldn't we give you back the things that make you feel a tiny bit normal in a totally insane time? Mm. And so there are all sorts of products we need that you might not expect us to need, but um, it's a pleasure to provide them to people to make them feel a little bit more together. Mm. Also, presumably, if you are then trying to go for a job interview or for for whatever, in, in order to kind of shift your life forward again, and you can't, you know, get a foundation, because let's face it, it's like, or any of that stuff, to make you feel that you've put your face on and that you've put your professional face on, as opposed to the kind of, you know... I can see. I know. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Totally inspirational. It's like smart works. It's a yeah. brilliant. Charity oh, I love that does smart works. Yeah, I love you know, smart works. You know, brilliant charities run by brilliant women. Um, I want to talk to you about your makeup bag, Sally. I just want to extort some recommendations from you, if we may. Sure. So at the moment, if you're looking, if we were looking for all kind of budget, a really good tinted moisturizer or summer foundation, where would you direct us at the moment? So. 
I tell you, there have been two affordable foundations or bases, really, that have come out in the past few months that I've been really impressed with. So the first one is L'Oreal Paris Tinted Serum. Very, very good. It's not cheap because it's L'Oreal Paris, but it's it's well under 20 quid. So I think it's £14 or thereabouts. It's very often on offer. So it's a hyaluronic acid serum with a tint in it, bit of coverage in it, just makes you look instantly better. Just smoosh it on, very little guesswork just whack it on and you look better basically another one which is even cheaper which i think is 8.99 i'm going to say is rimmel kind and free and so that is more of a tinted moisturizer so it's a nice hydrating creamy gel cream sort of a texture and that's really lovely again you can smoosh it on with fingertips really affordable cruelty free and yeah, it's a really good one. And it was one that took me by surprise. That's the joy of my job. I'm always discovering things that I wouldn't instinctively be drawn to. Um, and they mm. turn out to be brilliant. And that's that's the joy of, of samples, really. If, you know, if you went out shopping for things and a purchase is such a biased decision anyway. Um, but when things come every day, everything new that comes out lands through my doorstep and I get to try things that I wouldn't instinctively think would be right. And they turn out to be brilliant that's deeply gratifying and Rimmel kind and free was one of them it's terrific oh that's so interesting can I ask over like an idiot's question what with the L'Oreal Paris serum when do you put it do you put it on after moisturizer <laughs> yeah <laughs> my endless nightmare no I do no I understand why you're asking that because it's called a serum but no you treat it as makeup so so right. after okay, all so after after everything after everything if you okay. are wearing makeup you would put it on in place of foundation it's a terrific product and when I wrote a column about it, so many women have been in touch to say, oh, it's one of my favourite ever things that you've recommended. It's gone down a storm. So um, I suspect your listeners might feel the same. Yeah, definitely. Um, I tell you what I don't really leave the house without these days is, is a cream blusher. I just sort of always have one about my person. A lot of people, including Emily, are very, very confused by the idea of any kind of blusher. Where, What cream blushes do you think are really kind of... I'm very into a rose ink one at the moment. You look, Sally, like you've she got looks a like very a peach. nice... She does look like... 47-year-old peach. How yeah. is that possible? <laughs> um, I love cream blusher and I agree with you that so many women our age because we're all roughly the same age yeah, here, right we're exactly, and, uh, we're exactly the same age. same age yeah oh great okay so um most women our age I think if they're going to be scared of any makeup product they're scared of bronzer and blusher but actually those two things make you look so perky and healthy and blusher is just something I am never without I mean I'd rather look like Aunt Sally than have no blusher on <laughs> me too I, I'm, I'm going nowhere without it because it instantly it looks healthy and healthful and perky and youthful and I don't mean in that it makes you look younger it doesn't make you look younger it makes you look youthful if that makes sense it makes you just look perky and happy and joyful um and awake I absolutely love it so uh recommendations so I really like Elf if we're doing High Street I really really like Elf Revolution do a brilliant one from their Planet Revolution range um, which is like their eco range. Really, really nice one in a pot. Elf do lovely sticks. If we're going spendy, uh, the one I'm wearing today is the Hourglass Vanish Stick Blusher, which mm. I absolutely love and it stays put. So if you're um, menopausal, for example, and you find makeup wanders off halfway through the day, I find for a cream blush, this one really, really, really stays put. Um, I love the Clay de Peau Cream Blush. Bobby Brown Pot Rouge, can't go wrong. Mm -hmm. But I like, I, I prefer a cream to a powder because I just think you get a bit of dewiness, a bit of, it's a bit more casual and it makes you less prone to stripey vibes, which I know is what scares lots of people and more likely with powder. I only use a powder blush now if I really mean business, like if I'm doing a full face yeah. for a party. And then I think, and I'm yeah. looking and thinking, no, you need something else. Is it more eyeshadow? Is it more eyeliner? I'm already absolutely covered. And I think, no. And out comes my powder blusher. I'm like that too, actually. I think if I need to look very polished, so I host lots of events. If I'm hosting an event, I might use a powder blush. But by and large, I would say I'm at least 98% cream <laughs> blush because I just like patting it on. With my fingers. It's made, I'm literally 98% made of blusher. Do you I mean, use... I am probably. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and, and caffeine and dry shampoo. <laughs> do you use a highlighter every day? And if you do, do you use a, a liquid highlighter or do you use a powder highlighter? 
Uh, no, I'm not particularly a highlighter person. I think if I was going to a party and I decided to really go all out, I might use one. But they're not really my thing. I'm not so into the highlighter look. What I do use, however, is um, Charlotte Tilbury Hollywood Flawless Filter, which has a shimmer. I use it all over my face. So underneath, do I. <laughs> underneath you, you're not meant to, foundation. are you? It's got a sort of spongy tip. And so I no, dig and are, dig and dig. And shove it I everywhere. Think it's so, I think it's so misunderstood, that product. It, it, it has four uses. So you either put it all over your face with nothing over the top, and that's just your casual weekend face, which I do a lot. Or you put it all over your face, put your foundation over the top or your tinted moisturiser over the top. Or you mix a few drops in with your moisturiser or foundation um, to make it a bit more glowy. Or you can use it as a highlighter. The last use is the thing I'd be least likely to do. I'm not... I don't really like that kind of Instagram spangly cheekbone thing, to be mm. honest. It's not particularly my jam. If I was going to wear a highlighter, I would probably use a sort of glaze, you know, like a solid glazy stick rather mm. than one of those shimmery powders, which is not really my aesthetic, I suppose. What are your bronzers? You said bronzers before. So if I'm using a powder bronzer, I would always use the hourglass one. I think it's terrific. If I'm using a cream bronzer, which I very often am, I would use a Fenty or the Fenty one is terrific. Um, I like the Chanel one. If the colour's right for you, it's great. I like uh, the Milk Makeup one, the Baked Stick, um, Nude Sticks. I've got lots of favourite cream ones, but powder-wise, I would only really use the hourglass one. Mm. Okay. Um, I think another thing that I find that a lot of women are frightened of is eyeshadow. They always say, oh, my eyes are too sunken. Oh, my eyes are too small, too big. Too but people get very, very scared of eyeshadow. What do you think is a sort of beginner's, idiot-proof, don't panic, here you go, eyeshadow palette for people? Uh, so this is very easy for me. If you are scared of eyeshadow or you think I've got hooded eyelids or I don't know how to do it, my eyesight's not good enough... I'm telling you, get a crayon. Get one crayon in one colour. So get uh, uh, Bobbi Brown Longwear, uh, cream eyeshadow sticks, or uh, Vivi ones. NARS does a similar one. Uh, Elf does some Beauty Pie. Basically, it's a chubby crayon, a twist-up chubby crayon. Not too fat, kind of, you know, the width of, like, say, a biro in its body. Um, and you twist it up smoosh it on straight from the stick to your socket line then take a clean brush and just buff it over the line don't stop at the line I see lots of people stop at the line either imagined line if they're hooded or actual line they stop there but the moment you open your eyes the color disappears it's a total mm. waste of time so you need to take it beyond the line smudge it out with a clean brush with no product on it then take a little bit under your eye bobs your uncle and the number of times that women have said to me online oh my god I love your eye makeup today tell me how you do it and embarrassingly I'm like it's one colour from Bobby Brown and I've just <laughs> blended it outwards that's my day-to-day -day look if I'm hosting an event or maybe hosting a makeup video or something I'll get the palette out and I'll do a proper thing but today I've done what I just described to you nine times out of ten probably 19 times out of 20 I've taken one single colour smooshed it in Buffed it out with a clean brush. Bit of mascara, bit of eyeliner, that's it. Done. Um, and then um, mascaras, I mean, I I'm of the opinion that you don't need to, you maybe don't need to let spend a lot of money on everything, but you definitely don't need to spend a lot of money on mascaras. No, especially if you're not prone to smudging, which unfortunately I am. So I, I, am I could too. smudge a tattoo. What do we do about that? Does yours fall off as the hours go by, even if it's a... So my issue is that I use lots of very rich skincare because I'm super dry and that lifts a traditional mascara. The oil lifts the waxes and the oils and so you get smudgy under the eye. The number of times in my life where I've been testing mascaras for a column, I've gone to the ladies and gone, Jesus, how long have I looked like that? <laughs> and so for me, I have to use a tubing mascara, which is a mascara that wraps each eyelash in polymers um, and then it doesn't shift. So for me, I have to use Clinique Lash Power or Estee Lauder Double Wear. L'Oreal Paris does a tubes mascara. Trish McAvoy, Kevin O'Quan. There are certain brands that do a Japanese style tubing mascara. Most brands do a traditional mascara, which on me is not 
particularly good because it lifts. But I agree with you. You don't have to spend loads of money if you don't have that issue. Maybelline, amazing. Mm. Uh, L'Oreal Paris, Rimmel, they all do really, really great affordable mascaras. I mean, Maybelline is like, I think, I think I'm right in saying the best-selling mascara brand in the world. Yeah, yeah it's, I think it's 9 99 might, yeah, yeah, might even be eight ninety. Well, you remember the iconic pink and green that we, people when any, anybody went to New York when we were younger, you'd say, yeah, you'd say, can Carmex you just bring back and some Great Lash? Yes. Exactly, can it's you bring exactly. back yeah. some Great Lash? That was it. That was like the only thing anybody wanted from New York. Yeah. How do you feel about powder, face powder? I love powder, and I think powder is very underrated, particularly amongst older women. And I know why. I think women our age think, "Oh, well, that's going to dry me out. It's going to look cakey. That's going to be really unflattering." But it's really about which powder do you use and where do you put it. So I don't put powder on my cheeks because I like a bit of a sheen, a bit of a dewiness to my cheeks. But I do find a very shiny nose a bit aging. I have to mm. say, so I like to go down my nose, bit on my chin bit on my forehead and I would use a very sheer powder like uh, MAC mineralized na- skin finish natural or you know something that isn't too talky something that's nice and sheer and I've got two more questions to ask you because I think this is where people go is there really any point is there any point bothering with a primer at the beginning and a setting spray at the end I never ever ever use a setting spray However, if you are somebody who is super oily or perhaps um, suffering from hot flashes, for example, then a setting spray can be useful if you are somebody who needs to keep their makeup on and their makeup wanders off. I find particularly menopausal women who also have rosacea, so that coverage is important to them. They want to keep their makeup on because they have rosacea, but at the same time, hot flashes are sending their makeup wayward. I can see their value. I can absolutely see their use. For me, no, not particularly. Primer can be really, really useful. What primer essentially does is it creates a fake surface to your skin. So if you are somebody, for example, with rosacea again, if you have lots of texture on your skin, you have acne or you have rosacea where there's a sort of rough texture to your skin, essentially what a primer does is it kind of laminates your skin. It's like putting your skin through a laminate. It gives you a fake surface to work on and that can be very useful. Um, So there are definitely uses for primer. I use them less than ever because I I use my Charlotte Tilbury flawless filter there's no way I'm adding another layer onto that before my foundation so I don't bother anymore (laughs) there comes a point Um, doesn't there how many layers is too many layers with your you know well yeah your face becomes a game of buckaroo doesn't it essentially and you're like no more I can take not one more thing so I don't use it so much anymore but it certainly has its uses for some people um, and then, and I, and I want to talk to you because uh, this will be a, a subject. The grey. Very close to Emily's heart. <laughs> the grey. I was the like, grey. when are we going to ask her about the grey? When are we going to ask her about the grey? I was oh, obsessed ahead. when you went grey. It was like a... It was well, like, Emily, you went grey at 20... Well, I mean, you know, you, you've covered it, but you went grey at what, 21? Yeah, 21, 22. And I've been uh, covering it for years. And now, you know, I'm getting to the point where I'm leaving it. So you can see, like, normally... I, um, sorry, oh, right. I'm just showing Sally... I'm completely white, basically, but I'm and I'm letting it go longer and longer. But then still, just at the moment, and I've talked about it on the podcast, I'm going, I'm going to I'm going to leave it longer and longer. And then I balk and I, I Josh Wood um, home kit again. Um, but And then you did it. You did it. And you had a different problem for me because you had the, yours was underneath, wasn't it? So your front so was... mine so mine is all at the front. So if you can see, I realise this is not exciting for listeners, but um so you can see my roots at the top of my head. Yeah. But at the front there are no roots because it's it's genuinely grey. Yeah. <laughs> and so all all my grey is at the front on the temples under my fringe. And it had been like that for bloody ages. And it was boring to me. I didn't I don't have a problem with being grey I don't have a problem with not being grey I have a problem with going grey that's the it's the going aspect of it that I find tedious and I just felt like driving into the skid essentially I'll I'll steer into it grey hair is beautiful but grey roots can make you look and and feel mad and also I think what people don't realise is that there is a process to going grey isn't there yes and so mine is bleached so So essentially what I decided to do, because I was so grey at the front and then brown everywhere else, and the rest of my hair was just not, was not going grey at the pace. Well, it just wasn't going grey, whereas the front was really, really grey. And I used to use root touch-up sprays and Mm. things. 
I knew I couldn't diet brown because I'm allergic to PPD and hair colorant, so that wasn't an option to me. So I either had to wait for nature to do its thing or speed up the process. So I sped up the process by bleaching it. So I get um, thick, thick, chunky bleached highlights on the back of my head that won't go grey. And then they then match up with the front of my head. And then I put a silver tint all the way through, just a wash-in thing, um, all the way through to make it all roughly the same colour. And that's what I decided to do. And actually, well, I just, I have no regrets. It was a big decision because I can never go back, you see. I can't dye it brown again. So I knew that whatever I did, it had to stay like that. Um, so it took me a few years, but um, I, I don't regret it at all. And I've really cracked it now as well. It was such a big change for me. There were lots of days in the beginning where I would try, inevitably, all the brands sent me loads and loads of product that they wanted me to test for grey hair. And there were loads in the beginning where I thought, oh, my hair looks such a terrible colour. But gradually over the months, I just worked out what works for me. And I've kind of cracked it now, I think. Yeah, it looks amazing. But I guess my question is, it took you about two years to make it to make the decision to kind of go for it, right? It's that I think it took me, yeah, I think it took me about two years, and then I did it one year ago. I think it was a year ago, a couple of days ago. I think yeah. we're round about the one year anniversary of it. Happy birthday um, to your grey hair. <laughs> thanks. Uh, so it's been a year now, and I, I would say in the past four months, I've been really, really happy with it. I've just worked out what it responds to, where I get the best colour from. And so it's a process, but I much prefer it to being half and half. And absolutely no shade on anyone if they're happy like that. My best friend, Catelyn, is completely grey at the front and brown at the back. And she looks so brilliant. She looks really, really great and she loves it and she's happy. But I just wasn't. I wanted it to be one thing or another. I'm so glad that this sort of this this evolution, revolution is happening. Because I think we were sort of educated to believe that grey hair was defeat. That we were going to have to keep whacking colour on our hair. We were going to be helmeted by sort of Grecian 2000 forever um and now and now everywhere you look you know younger women are are managing this wonderful sort of silver hair do you get people coming up to you in the street and just saying or or in your dms just going oh my god you know how are you brave enough and now and now how do you feel basically yeah and do you know what's interesting one of the most common messages i get about my hair is from women saying that their hairdresser won't do it for them what I've done so their hairdresser's gone no it'll make you look old no it's unflattering and the hairdresser has just refused so they've gone in with my video or my picture whatever and said I want to do something along those lines and their hairdresser has said no I don't want to do it now obviously sometimes there are technical reasons for that or whatever but um for the most part they've been discouraged or an attempt has been made to discourage them because you'll look old and it'll be unflattering I think that's a real shame Um, because if you feel inclined to do it, if you fancy it, I think you should bloody do it. And also, by the way, if you feel inclined to dye out your roots and go back to your more youthful colour, do that as well. I just think people need to mind their own bloody business about how women look, to be honest. And, you know, if you want to have Botox, get Botox. If you don't want to get Botox, don't get Botox. If you want to dye your hair, if you don't want to dye your hair, just do what you want to do. And everybody needs to be quiet about it, quite frankly. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> yes, exactly. Sally Hughes, you absolute titan. I'm going to remind people that Sally Hughes um, for Revolution is uh, is really a really wonderful new range. And if you feel inclined to uh, donate money or product, then look out for Beauty Banks. And Sally, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. We wanted to talk to you for kind of basically years. Um, and, uh, and here we are. So uh, good luck with your new products. Thank you. It was lovely to be here. I'll come on any time. And Yay, I'm sorry. That's what I wanted you to say. Oh, any time. But um, next time I'll have my blithering airpods in my ears when we start. It'll be something else. I can else. only apologise. Let's face it. It'll be some other yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, thank but you. Sally, thank you so much and see you soon, I hope. Bye. Thanks, women. Bye. Much appreciated. Bye. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Midult. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. Hi, my name is Kay Adams and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling... 
We are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.